Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am here to help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Be sure to check out our website at businesscreatorsradioshow.com and view our plethora of topics covering a breadth and depth of issues related to business creators just like you. Also, subscribe on your favorite syndication network. You can find us on places like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more, not to mention Blog Talk Radio. Also, check out our social media. We're on most of the platforms. Be sure to follow us because we post episodes there, too. Today, we're going to have some fun. I like to weave in some fun episodes every once in a while that sort of add some additional excitement to what we do as entrepreneurs. What's very exciting about being an entrepreneur, being a business creator, is once you establish your overflowing cup from which you can serve generously, you have the opportunity to explore other brilliances and other passions that otherwise you may not get to. And for some of our listeners, that has to do with art. And we've had episodes before on how to get your stuff featured on Etsy. We've done some arts and crafts stuff over the past few years. So I think it's time we circle back to this one more time, and we're going to destroy the myth of the poor artist. To help us with that today is Catherine Orr, who is an award-winning business and PR strategist and founder of The Artist Entrepreneur, where she counsels professional visual artists and creative entrepreneurs who want to build sustainable businesses and careers. So if you're thinking about jumping, listen to this. After working as a PR professional for multinational corporations, Catherine began studying the business of art at Christie's Education and working in contemporary Parisian art galleries. She later worked in a critically acclaimed gallery serving the North American art market, where she represented artists at international art fairs and worked with them one-on-one. The experience gave her the versatility and network to create the artist entrepreneur. That's the official version. We're going to hear another version in a second. Catherine, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Happy to be here, Adam. Thanks for the nice intro. Absolutely. So what we like to do here at the Business Creators Radio Show, I just read off the official version of the Catherine Orr's story. And what we like to do is <laughs> yeah. take a step back because people are looking up. They have separate browser tabs open. They're looking up this artist entrepreneur. They're looking up Catherine Orr, and they want to know who is this person. So in your own words, tell us a little bit about your story and your internal motivations that brought you to where you are today serving business creators with that artistic flair from their intersection of their brilliance and their passion. We saw the roadmap. Now tell us about some of the excitement of the journey. <laughs> the journey was quite exciting, and it was um, unexpected, let's just say that, because at, um, at a very early age, I knew I wanted to work in the arts. But uh, when I was going to major in art history in college, my teacher told me, Adam, can you believe that? He said, I'm going to speak to you like you were my daughter. Please don't go study in the arts. You will never make money. Um, you have so much promise. Please go study marketing or PR or something like that. So I was so um, – I trusted this person. He was my mentor, and uh, I really didn't want to be in a situation where I would end up with death and no job at the end of my studies. So I did like he said, and I went to study communications and marketing and PR. And uh, I started working in the corporate world, like you were saying in my bio. But I, I knew that that wasn't my path. Uh, I was quite unhappy and uh, 
That's why I decided to leave everything because I'm Canadian. So I left everything, my job, my condo, my family, my friends, and I moved to Europe, Paris, to study uh, art history and the business of art. So 10 years later, 10 years after uh, my teacher had told me don't do it, I decided to do it anyway. And um, what happened was uh, my plan actually again changed because my plan was to uh, work in the art market and then have my own art gallery. But uh, something happened again uh, during the journey, and it was a 2008 economic downturn. So at that time, I was working in a gallery, learning the skills and learning how to, uh, and I was really selling quite well at that gallery. Uh, but sales started to drop, and it had really nothing to do with us. It had to do with the economy um, at the time. So artists started coming to me and saying, well, I see you're selling well, and um, I feel like now just with the sales I'm getting with the gallery because of the economy, uh, it's just not enough. Uh, I need to learn how to market myself, maybe start a new stream of income. Oh, and I also heard about this thing. Uh, it's called Facebook. I don't know if you've heard about it. Of course, we were in 2008 at the time. And they said, you know, maybe we need to use that to promote ourselves. So. At the time, the role of galleries uh, started to change a lot in the relationship between artists and galleries, and artists wanted more and more to be able to sell their work direct to collectors. So that's really what led me to start the artist entrepreneur and the coaching and consulting work that I do now. It's basically because the market asked for it, right? Artists started coming to me for questions, consults, support. And when I said to them, well, how about if I start doing this, like, on a regular basis as a business, would you be interested if I offered you my service? And, you know, the, the, the answer was unanimous, and that's just how the journey of the artist entrepreneur began. Absolutely. And let me share with you one of the um, internal reasons for myself why this kind of connects to my brilliance and passion and why I wanted to have this conversation with you from a personal level. Maybe 12 years ago, I had a female friend, if you want to put that in air quotes, and uh, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, yeah, very, very, very nice woman, and uh, you know, and I enjoyed my time with her and everything else. But there was a place where our paths just sort of diverged, and it actually has to do with art. Uh, and what it boils down to is there was just such a mindset difference that we had a recognition that our paths were going in different directions, which is kind of sad, but, you know. Here it is. She, too, was an artist. She had had her, some of her paintings and some of her other artwork featured in competitions uh, in the United States, and I think also something in Paris or Venice or something like that, some big international art festival. She was in her early 20s at the time and already gotten international recognition, definitely on her way. Now, here was the challenge with her. Uh, before I get to the challenge, actually, she also had a passion in addition to her art for animal rescue. Her mission in life was to build a colony for cats who were in need of homes where they could live in a kill-free environment. She was going to buy a big piece of land and put up some buildings on it, and it would be a place where the cats would have shelter, they have plenty of food, they could roam around, they could live a good, happy life with their, in their cat commune. So this was what she wanted to have happen with her life. Now, at the same time, she had this thing where she wanted to be a starving artist. She, she was <laughs> okay. emotionally linked to the idea of being 
a starving artist. And for that reason, uh, I noticed just through her comments and the way she told stories that something inside her was holding her back from really reaching her potential with her art career, which, again, I haven't really checked in with her lately. My suspicion is that she's gotten married since then and is under another name, and I can't find her on social media because I actually did look her up before this episode because I just wanted to see whatever happened to her. I just can't find her. Um, unfortunately, what that also probably means is uh, she didn't pursue the whole art thing. So very sad if that's the case. And if she happens to be listening to this for whatever reason, please raise your hand. I'd like to know what happened to you. Just be curious. And uh, listen to what I'm about to say because this is something that I've thought about and I've mentioned many times during the Business Creators Radio Show because it actually kind of helped me and I have this gratitude. So I suggested to her that she should do the following. If she wanted to maintain this starving artist living in a studio apartment thing and keeping herself in the zone, uh, you know, that gets that hunger that comes from being a starving artist that I guess made her a better artist, is to do the following. To be wildly successful with her art career, make a ton of money at it, use all the money to found her cat colony where she could live in a little shack and continue to do her painting, and just don't eat so she could starve. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean uh, – and uh, and she couldn't quite connect to that, and that kind of and I, I and I said it in a friendly way, but it just it just really caused um, a disresonance with her. And I guess that after that, uh, I think we saw each other one more time, and it just kind of like tapered off. Uh, but I have to think that was a catalyst. And going back to going back to that today, I just think that um, unless. She has actually become wildly successful in art. Uh, she missed an opportunity there. And I think of her when I think of artistic people who want to monetize their brilliance and passion and also use as an opportunity to give back and to serve from an overflowing cup. And for that reason, Catherine, that's my emotional reason for wanting to have you here today. So I just wanted to share that with you. And <laughs> let's start with what um, – I'm going to call her Gloria, even though that's not her real name, because if she is listening, I don't want to, um, I don't want to um, embarrass her in any way. Uh, so we're just going to call her Gloria for the sake of our conversation. And I think that part of what might have been driving her is maybe if she, you know, to think what she thought, is that if she did sell her art and become wealthy as a result of doing so, it would have made her feel like sort of like a sellout. So how does a person go ahead and do that without feeling like a sellout? Well, I think, well, first I have to say that your story, I meet a lot of artists who have a similar story, um, who feel like they can't create real raw art if they're not in a financial difficulty. Or, or maybe some people who are listening are saying, no, I'm not like that. I want to make money. But really, deep down, they have a lot of difficulty um, attaching a value to their art. So First of all, they don't value the art that they create themselves, so it's very hard for people outside themselves to value what they're creating. Because if you don't value it first, how can you expect others to value it? Um, so that's the first thing that I've noticed. And then the, the other thing you were asking, like how do you go out of this, of this mindset I mean, it's, it's all about having a strong vision, because if it's just and and you know this, Adam, it's it's true for any business that you create. If you're just 
developing a business, making money just for the sake of making money, it's going to motivate you for a while, but it's not going to last very long, right? Either it's never going to be enough money or uh, it's just not going to motivate you anymore because money is never really a motivating factor. So you really need to get clear on why it is that you're creating that money so that you don't feel like it's a sellout and you're just making money just for the sake of it. And really when I talk to artists, what they want is they want to make an impact in the world, right? They have a message. They have something to say. And what I try to make them understand is having money through your art gives you more opportunities to grow your reach reach more people with your message, create more work that has more impact. Because if you're working from your basement studio, uh, maybe you're dreaming of creating these really large-scaled pieces, but you don't have the means to buy the materials, you don't have the studio to create it, and you don't really have uh, the partnerships for these, uh, for these pieces to be seen and experienced by all these people that you want to touch with your art. So if you're clearer on your why and your vision and what you would do with that money, then already it's going to give you much more purpose and you're going to feel much more confident uh, when you're executing uh, whatever plan that you put in, you want to put in place to make more money. Absolutely. So going along with this, what are some of the top mistakes that artists make that cost themselves should they find their way to a place where they're able to find themselves trying to sell the stuff? Well, uh, first, uh, they don't have <laughs> so many, but let's start with a few and just uh, stop me, Adam, if you want me to expand on some of these that I'm going to share. Uh, first, they don't have a clear uh, revenue uh, plan or business model or business plan or call it whatever you want, but they, like, this, I want to sell my art, is not a business plan, it's not a strategy, it's wishful thinking, right? So you need to get really clear on how this is all going to happen uh, because uh, that way you can really invest uh, your dollars, your energy, your team, um, your time towards something that's going to actually give you uh, and results and that you can evaluate and then tweak and, and grow upon. So you need some sort of um, baseline plan revenue model to understand how you're going to make money uh, with your uh, art. And often when you start doing that work, you realize, most artists realize that the reason they're not making money is because they're selling their work way um, at prices that are way too low, right? So they don't have uh, reasonable profit margins so that their business can grow. So maybe right now you're listening and you're saying, you're, you're saying well, I am selling. How come I'm not making any money? Because I'm always kind of selling here and there. Well, if you don't have a clear revenue model and a business model and you don't, you're not aware of your costs and your margins, then maybe, maybe that's one of the problems that you have. Um, and also it can cost you sales, to be honest, in the art world. The art world is a peculiar uh, little industry that um, you need to get to know so that you can operate well in it. But actually, um, some people, some artists think, oh, my prices are too high. That's why I'm not selling. But actually, it can be the total opposite because the people who are interested in investing in art usually are used to paying a certain amount of money for the art that they 
purchase and that they collect. And if your art is priced too low, and from their perspective, it's not valuable, right? Because we tend to uh, attribute value to, you know, uh, in, in proportion to how much we pay for something. So, again, if you're listening and you're thinking, I'm not selling, I need to lower my price, I would say think again, um, and get really clear on who your, I like to call them my ideal collector, who your ideal collector is, because maybe the people you're trying to reach aren't giving you time of day, because um, the way you're packaging your offers, your, your work, the way you're showing up as an artist and the prices you're asking is not up to par with what they're looking for in the artists that they collect. Um, Another reason I would say that a lot of artists are missing sales is just because they're not on the ball with their sales, right? They 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 um they meet people, people show interest, somebody says, Oh, I'm interested in, in, in your work, I'd like to see it, sure, call me, and then the person never calls and they um they feel bad because the the sale never happens. But really, um it's not up to your prospect to follow up with you, it's up to you to follow up with your prospect. And often, again, we're looping back to this idea of selling out. It's like, well, uh, if I start to uh, follow up with a prospect, then uh, I'll look salesy or pushy or I'll sell out and really people need to come to me. Well, no, people, no, you can't, you can't run a business like that. It's your job to uh, stay on the ball, connect with people, build relationships, and make sure that you follow through and that you follow up uh, with people who are interested. And I have a um, business incubator for artists that's called the Artist Entrepreneur Lab, and we regularly challenge each other to do some follow-ups with people that we kind of you know, the, the, the conversation fell through the cracks. You don't really know what happened. Why didn't the person get back to me? And really when we challenge each other to do these follow-ups, it's surprising how many sales that emerge from these follow-ups because we tell ourselves all kinds of stories about why the person maybe did it not answer to our call or email or message and really has nothing to do with us. And people are more than happy to hear from us again when we follow up. So I think these are like basic sales skills, but I don't know why even clients that I have who have another business that has nothing to do with art, they have no difficulty doing that for their commodity business or any other service that they offer. But when it comes to their art, it's much more of a challenge. And I think that it comes from a place where their art is so much more personal. So if somebody doesn't, you know, say yes immediately or doesn't get back to them, they have a tendency to take it personally, which uh, we all know that in business we can't take things personally. We just need to keep our eye on the ball and just move forward and push through. Okay. As you were telling that whole thing, another vision came to mind of a conversation I had with a guy I used to know way back in the day as well. And his daughter was getting ready to go to college. Uh, well, in his mind, uh, she was getting ready to go to college. In her mind, she was getting ready to become a carpenter because she had a passion for creating art using wood. Uh, I mean, he would show me pictures of cabinets she built, uh, things that she carved out of wood. She had a gift. 
and she didn't want to go to college. She just wanted to start selling her carpentry and become a carpenter. And he told her that uh, he was going to make a deal with her, and it was real simple. Uh, he would support her carpentry. He would give her seed money if she wanted to start a business. Uh, I mean, he would be all in with it on one condition. Uh, after she finished high school, she was going to college, and she was getting a bachelor's degree in business. And he was very specific that if she wanted support with the carpentry thing from him, that she was going to get a business degree. And his reason was because she wanted her, her to have a foundation for how business works, how to grow a business, how to do sales and marketing, how to do prospecting, how to manage your costs, how to raise revenue, how to attract investors, uh, because he wanted her to be successful as a carpenter. So he was supporting her dream, and he was saying, I will support your dream, but you have to let me fully support your dream. And as I was listening to what you were saying and thinking about that story, which came to mind, it leads me to ask, uh, just by the nature of their experiences, do people who find themselves going down an artistic path very early on perhaps just simply lack exposure to what they need to be successful? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes, because here's the thing. Um, and I, I have, I just want to say first that I have nothing against academia. Uh, you know, I've went, I went, you know, to university. I've went back to school after. I love studying and I'm all for like, as long as you can study, study. Okay. This is a great opportunity. And, and it's, I mean, the father that offered that to her, to his daughter, I think it's, it's, it's great path. Uh, but the truth is, if you go into the fine arts, uh, the fine arts studies, uh, uh, NMSA or something like that, the thing is that the people who teach these programs, um, they perpetuate that mindset, Adam. And that's really where I think it's so unfortunate. They perpetuate, they're the first ones to perpetuate that starving artist mindset, and I ha I've had a couple of artists come to me um, after their MFA and a few years trying to build their career and say, you know, really early on, while I was doing my master's degrees, I would go in and talk to my teacher and say, I'm, I don't really get, like, how is this really, how is this going to work when I'm done, right? Like, when I'm done with my program and I can't access studio time from the university and all of these the materials and all of that, like, how am I going to make a living out of this? And, you know, not just one artist, like more than one artist got the response from their teacher. Basically, you have two choices. Either you become a teacher or you work at Dunkin' Donuts, right? Like, right. So when you get when you get these types of response from your, um, from your teacher, your mentor, already uh, – like nobody in the academia sees artists as entrepreneurs, but they are, they are, they have to be, even if, you know, you're listening to this and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to give everything to a gallery and the gallery will sell it for me. Good for yeah. you if that's what you want, but you still need to show up for that gallery. You still need to pitch your idea so that you'll get in. You still need to have a solid revenue model so because don't take 50% commission. So you better be clear on how you're going to make that money. Uh, and you still need to build your profile if you want to get into the good ones, right? So um, 
so what happens is like they leave the MFA and they have absolutely no understanding of how to pitch, how to sell their work, how to price their work. You can't even have that conversation because it's frowned upon, right? Because you're trying to make right. money out of this. Uh, so it's really, really unfortunate. And a lot of um, artists just end up like having to postpone their artistic projects because, like all of us, they have bills to pay. So um, getting that that financial literacy, basically, is essential, uh, especially these days where we see the business models of, of galleries that is failing, right? Even galleries right. are now having a, a crisis where they're trying to figure out how they're going to survive. So they're, these galleries right now, they're busy figuring out their own stuff. So artists can't really rely on them right now. Um, so you need to have that literacy to be able to navigate, uh, and especially in an industry that is so opaque and that it's so difficult to get information. So you need to be resilient and know what's going on um, so that you can make informed decisions and uh, and and. and basically have a successful business so that you don't have to have another um, job like working at Dutch and don't have to pay the bills, basically. Yeah, and what you bring up is that there's like a certain, I guess, sort of a taboo among some of the artist community that just if you're even talking about the idea of making money or having a business around it, that that uh, sort of makes you, if not an outcast perhaps, then somebody who is, outside the vibe of what's going on in that community. Did I hear you right? Yes. Well, I would say that um, it was that way. In some circles, it still is that way. And we need to ask ourselves, why is it that way? And it's because it's, it's serving some people. And the people that it's serving are people who have a lot of money. <laughs> so we need to be careful where that, that is all coming from, right? Uh, but... I have to say, Adam, that more and more, especially now with the rise of social media, where everybody is their own brand and their own media, um, I can see these walls. Like every year, I can see these layers and these walls falling where artists have the, uh, have the opportunity basically to communicate directly to the public without having to go through a third party. And um, I think the public is more and more ready to listen to what these artists have to say, engage with them, and start, and then maybe that will lead eventually to, to a transaction. But I can, I can see it now, more and more artists are leveraging the tools that are at their disposal to grow their business because they understand also that it's not just about the money. It's about the impact and it's being able, and a lot of also of artists who are making it now are trying to empower other artists and saying, listen, if I did it, you can do it. We all have our place here in the market and we all deserve to have our voices heard. You know, it's not just people who paint stuff and people who carve stuff. If you want to think of artists, we can also think of musicians. Uh, I have friends and I've also met some other people who had top 40 hits at some point in their career. Uh, and you hear a few stories of people who become 
music megastars and they have their millions of dollars and their mansions and their limousines and their charitable foundations that rebuild entire villages in Africa and all that. But the other side of the story that we don't often hear about are the folks who are bringing in maybe $900 a month from their royalties and have to hold down regular jobs or who have to continue to travel to perform for at smaller and smaller venues for smaller and smaller paychecks as their original demographic ages out. And it seems like the more they should be enjoying their success, the more they're having to work for it. And I thought about some of their stories, and I compared some of them and noticed some trends. A lot of folks, at least that I've encountered, who became some level of success in the music industry came from backgrounds where there really wasn't much of an emphasis on financial literacy for whatever reason. Uh, in many cases, they, for better or worse, didn't have the benefit of college or a business education. And when they, after years of blood, toil, tears, and sweat and living in a studio apartment, uh, racing from, uh, from dive bar gig to dive bar gig until they finally got a, a record deal and the company or, or the product production company not only recorded the record but actually promoted it those are two different things uh you can get a record deal and get your record made but then it's a separate conversation a separate transaction to actually get them to promote it and if they were able to cross all these hurdles they could get top 40 hits they could be singing in front of arenas they could have all kinds of money coming in that then went out as fast as it came in many things combination of a lack of business sense, a combination of going from rags to riches in one day and not knowing how to handle the money, uh, and over an overreaching sense of needing to help the people who were supposedly there for them during their days of struggle but actually weren't. They just happened to show up uh, at the moment of success and say, hey, man, I believed in you all along. Now can I have $100,000? Sure. And I can imagine in your experiences – Working with the artists you work with, you might have heard a couple of those types of stories. And I don't want to go too far down the music industry because that's a different uh, that's a different level of blood sport from all the insider stories I've heard. But I've noticed when the people get into it, it's the same thing. Now, here in 2019, I'm noticing that we have actual education available to aspiring rock stars, let's just call them rock stars, people who want to have the major record deal and get the top 40 or the top 10 and perform in front of the arenas and all that. And there are actually places they can go for a very reasonable amount of money and be taught financial literacy, how to, how to get funding to create their music, um, how to do marketing, how to do social marketing, how to leverage platforms like Rhapsody and Spotify to turn them into – revenue opportunities. I mean, you're not going to make much money on your percentage of Spotify downloads, but it's leveraging being on Spotify is where the money comes from. And there's somebody actually there to teach them that. That didn't exist 30, 40 years ago for a lot of my friends who were in the industry and were really big back at that time. So we're starting to see that trend there. Aside from the work you're doing, are you seeing much of that in your industry? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm seeing it even, like, even some schools are thinking of, oh, maybe we could add a business class to some art programs. Uh, right. I've been teaching, I've been teaching uh, at a college here, 
and it's the first North American incubator um, college level that's uh, exclusively dedicated to the cultural in industry, so all for creative, right? Um, they're starting to, and because also, you know, artists want to make things that have more impact, so they're looking for funding, like you said, to be able to create these works, but the people who are funding, um, they want to make sure that this is viable, so they're asking the tough questions. Um, so that means that the artists need to be well prepared. They need to know how to create a, uh, create a business plan, make projections, and understand their expenses, and et cetera, et cetera. So absolutely, I'm seeing that either through the incubator that I've I've been teaching, or just through the different programs uh, that are available. And it's really what we do in the lab. It's exactly that, right? Whether it's me or guest experts that come in to teach on how the artists can do uh, licensing their art or how to uh, be more, um, even in their personal finances, their business finance, how to be more savvy. These are all things that we keep talking about because um, the more we talk about it, I feel, Adam, that the less taboo that there's going to be around this, right? The more artists talk about it in a more confident way, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to profit everyone in society because the more a society that has healthy artists worth thriving, it's good for everyone. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. So um, I think this goes along with, you know, why it's so important to get clear on your vision and how to communicate it effectively with potential partners and clients. And that's where I wanted to go next is the communi communication skills to actually get people interested in the art. And let me just explain to you why I think this is relevant to some people. And I've shared this on my social media so many times. Uh, Catherine, I have absolutely no appreciation for art whatsoever. I'm just going to be candid about that. If you came to my apartment, you'd notice it. If you came to my apartment, you'd notice there's nothing hanging on the walls because I like the walls to be blank. Uh, the only decoration here is my use of mood lighting. That's how I decorate the place. I don't have paintings hanging or anything like that. I don't have things that you know are carved or designed to sit on a table or anything because my cats would destroy them. And besides, uh, if I have all that stuff around, it makes it, it just uh, it just takes more time to clean the place, and I'm pride myself in being able to get this place back to move-in condition at any time within one hour. So those are my personal goals. So I'm coming to you because maybe I need the education here. So let's say, let's put, put a framer on this. Let's say that uh, you were an artist, and uh, and I had, and I was a potential partner to help you market it, or I was somebody who would potentially be an audience for it. Maybe somebody who would buy it, or who knows somebody who would buy it. And how do you communicate it to me since I don't have a freaking clue? <laughs> well, first, Adam, I'm more than happy to introduce you to a few artists who do amazing work and that you won't feel cluttered in your home. So I'm happy to send you a few recommendations if you want. Um, but I think you're right. I think communication is essential because, you know, just looking back at what you, you were talking about, about sales, Right? A lot of artists tell me, well, I don't want to sell. Well, you always have to sell, right? Because, can, because talking about your work, whether you're selling an idea, a project, a vision, do you agree with me? It's all selling. Yes. It is, it is all selling, right? So, I agree. So you need to, yeah, you need to learn to talk about the work. You need to learn to talk about your vision and the why behind your creative process. 
right? A lot of, and a lot of artists say, well, I don't know what my creative process is. I'm like, well, go back and do your homework and figure it out because nobody wants to support something that they don't understand, right? Nobody, you know, the artists are insecure, but art buyers are even more insecure. And I'm not the one who says that. It's Don Thompson, an art economist, who said, you know, the people who are more insecure than artists are collectors, right? So a lot of people stop at buying art because they're worried that they're paying too much or is it good? Is it a good artist? Am I buying the right thing? What if people laugh at me that I bought this? Is this ridiculous? And is so, so if you're not in a position where you can share your why, you can share the different layers of the work that you created, how can you expect someone to invest in you? You can't. Right. You can't because the person on the other side is even more insecure than you in this process. So it's your job to make that process as easeful as possible for them. Uh, but if you don't have these communication skills, if you don't know how to talk about, you know, the why times five around your work, that's the first first step. There's nobody's going to be interested in what you have to sell. Uh, well, first, nobody can be interested in what you have to sell if they don't know that you have something to sell, right? If you're not um, communicating it, if you're not growing your visibility, if you're not showing up. But then it's not enough to just say, hey, look at this piece I just made. It's for sale. Um, you have to tell a story. Uh, you have to have a, a really coherent story around your work that people will have an emotional connection towards. Because buying art, if it starts, it, sometimes the transaction is not emotionally led, but it all starts by an emotional connection. So it's your job as an artist to create that emotional connection. Some art collectors do it from an investment perspective. They may like the aesthetics of the painting or the carving or the statue or whatever it is, but they're buying it with an eye towards selling it later and making a profit. So somebody's coming along, maybe they're up and coming, or maybe they have their own brilliance and passion around creating this stuff, and maybe what they run into is folks saying, well, I've never heard of you, so... I don't know that you're going to become the next Pablo Picasso, so I'm not sure if I want to buy this because you're not showing me how this is going to appreciate in value. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) um, personally, I would not recommend to people to buy art just for the um, economic value or as a financial investment, um, I would I could give a lot of reasons for that. But I think, you know, I, I mentioned Don Thompson, anybody who's interested in better understanding the high-end market, the high-end art market, uh, should, um, should read that any book from Don Thompson. It's super interesting. But really, if you want to buy art for an investment, you're not going to – you're rarely going to buy very – young emerging artists, right? You're going to right. buy art from artists who have a certain, who are established, who are represented by a certain level of galleries. Maybe they have a couple of works that have been at auction. So there's some transparency about their work, their pricing and, and the growth 
So there's a lot of things to consider when uh, you're, um, you're investing in art. But once you set that, I mean, I've sold art, you know, from $500 to $100,000 to collect collectors. And I can tell you that every collector, even the ones who are buying the really high-end art, the first piece of art they bought was at a low price point, right? It's something that you build on. And sometimes you make a hit and sometimes you miss. But the important thing is that you buy something that means something to you. So that if, if it doesn't end up being a financial win, at least you'll have something in your life that brings you joy and has value for you. The other thing is as a – and I had this conversation with a collector just a couple of weeks ago where I was telling him that, you know, as a collector, his role – is also to be a mentor and to support the artist in his growth, right? So if you want your, if you, it's not just I like the art, I buy it, but it's also now it's even, it goes further than that. It's I like the artist, this artist has, has promised, how can I support him or her in her artist's journey? What doors can I open for him or her? Who can I introduce them to? Uh, can I have other collectors that will? Because, you know, having a collector say to a gallery where they buy, well, I'm, I've been working with this artist. I bought a few of his pieces. He's very promising. A few of my friend collectors are also buying his art. I think you should meet him or her uh, has a lot of value. These kinds of conversations has a lot of value in the eyes of an art, gal uh, of an art gallery, right? So, if you're thinking, like, I want to buy art from an earthing artist, well, think about, okay, yes, you're paying for the artist one way to support their career, but then what are their other ways? Maybe you have the business skill to mentor them, or maybe you can open doors for them, and it's not only going to profit them, but it's going also to profit your, your own investment. But from the get-go, right. I think that people should buy art that they love, and um, start with that. Don't buy art just because you think you'll turn a profit. Well, yeah, I mean, but there are some people who do invest in it from that, you know, from that perspective of, yeah, they like how it looks in their home or in their gallery or what have you, but they are looking to flip it and make some money later on. Or they just like to say that, yes, I have this nice piece here. I paid $30,000 for it, and I recently had it appraised for 44000 So it's appreciating nicely. And look at me, what a financial genius I am. I mean, you have some of that. But what <laughs> you've done here, what you've done here is you flip the paradigm nicely for the person who may be hitting that wall of resistance in terms of who to look for in terms of who their prospects are and what type of support to seek from the world. And if you look at, you, yeah, I mean, pick your favorite artist, whoever they are, and somewhere in their story, you're going to find that point where they found somebody to believe in them. And I think that's kind of what you were getting at is uh, before you can focus on art collectors and art investors, you've got to find somebody to believe in you in the first place to help you get moving. And it's, and it's the momentum and the credibility you'll gain from having somebody believing in you that will begin to add those layers of your art having some sort of monetary value. Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately, artists, unfortunately, always think that that's the gallery that will do that for them. But often, there is a step before the gallery, and I'm not talking about, like, you know, a small gallery that has, you know, 
um, a retail space uh, in a small town. I'm talking the galleries that actually sell, you know, big time and that can really get you a decent revenue. Uh, to be able to get there, there's usually one step that's missing, and that's exactly what you just talked about, Adam, is getting that circle, maybe it's one person, maybe it's a few people, but who are creating that hype around you and are, are helping you and supporting you. And you're not just the only one who's saying, hey, have a look at my art. It's amazing. But you have other people who are coming in and saying, like, I'm supporting this artist. I'm giving them means. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm helping them grow their business and opening up doors places that maybe they don't have access, but I have that access. And I don't have that emotional aspect of it that makes that makes it so difficult for me to open those doors because I'm just supporting another artist. And for the artist it's much more difficult to do that themselves. So absolutely yeah. that's that's yes, exactly what I'm saying. Right, right, right. So we're a little uh we're about three fourths of the way through this. Time flies when we're having a blast. And I'm gonna <laughs> skip are. I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit because I think that there's something else that we can cover here that'll sort of begin to put an umbrella over everything we've covered in the past 45 minutes. And if you could tell us about the essentials that an artist needs to consider when they want to make that transition from being the amateur artist to the professional artist. Mm-hmm. That's so true because, um, you know, from, from being, and even if you have another business, um, just moving towards making your art your full-time uh, gig it's not necessarily going to be uh, the same step. So first you need to, I think you need to get clear and um, kind of, I don't want to repeat myself, but you need to get clear on what kind of business or career you want to create, right? Are you going more in the decorative um, um, aspect of art? Are you more in the fine art conceptual? Uh, who are you going to serve? Who's going to be your clientele? Uh, because, like I said, this, I'm going to sell my art really doesn't work. And um, often I see artists who spend a lot of time and money uh, and energy <laughs> showing their art at places that really doesn't give them an ROI just because they think that's what they need to do. They need to be at all these, you know, open-air art fairs, which some of them do great, but some of them just you know, and it depends on the type of art that you do as well, right? It's just not maybe the right path for you. And often it starts with getting really clear on who your message and your art is going to resonate with. So if you don't have that figured out, uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to knock on the right doors and get that support uh, that we were talking about earlier. And I think another part of the essentials, and that's true for any business and any industry is getting that support that you need, setting yourself up in a community. And I'm sure that you've talked about this many times, Adam, but, you know, we're the the average of the five people we spend the more time with. And if you're always with people who don't believe in your art or just don't believe in the value of art in general, and uh, they can't really support you and you can't really support them and you don't share the same values and the same vision for what you're doing, it's going to be even although because it's already not easy to build an art business and an art career, it's going to be even more difficult because the types of um, comments, recommendations, suggestions that you're going to get from the people around you might fit if you had a mattress business 
but it's not going to work to sell your art, right? So um, getting clear on your business model, who you're selling to, and who you surround yourself with uh, are really essential to get you started on the right path. Yeah, yeah. So now that we've um, established some of these essentials, um, how would one go about setting and achieving their goals as a professional artist? Well, <laughs> the first thing you need to do is set those goals, right? Because yeah. um, I work <laughs> – it sounds obvious, Adam, right? But um, I know there's so much resistance, right? So in, in the lab that I've mentioned, the first thing we do is we do strategic planning. So annual plan, understanding the difference between annual planning and quarterly planning. And, and then we set up quarterly plans and often just – you know, there's so much resistance in sitting down and looking at their numbers and visualizing what they want and starting to put a strategy together and just admitting that they don't know something and just coming in and asking the questions and sometimes just formulating the question about the next step is a challenge because creating a plan, a business plan, is so far from uh, what they're used to. But I can say from experience that I've seen artists completely transform their business by pushing through uh, that resistance and understanding what goal setting means and what in implementation and execution on the plan, how it works. And once they start getting it, it's amazing to see um, the results that they get. But the first step is just like letting, I would say it's just accepting that there's resistance and accepting that maybe if you try to do something a bit differently, you might actually get different results and it's going to be very, very positive. Uh, but I, I, I get it. Uh, I get it. It's a challenge. And sometimes the challenge comes from uh, passing way too much judgment on the numbers, on the goal setting. Uh, but really what I try to tell artists is it's just numbers. They don't mean anything unless you give them meaning. Um, a goal is not there to judge you. It's just a baseline. It's just to gather information so that we can tweak and pivot and make your plan better in the long run because I believe in, you know, building something that's going to serve you long term. Um, but if you always pass judgment on you know, because you're looking at your numbers and you didn't make money last year or your costs increased. And um, so I see that a lot, uh, people telling me, oh, my God, I just had the worst time going through my numbers. But I'm like, yeah, but now you did it and you just don't have to judge them. You just need to understand them. And now we can move on to something more positive and grow um, but it all starts with, by understanding your business and just sitting down and looking at those things, which I know that for some artists it's not, it's not doesn't come naturally, but if you right. surround yourself with people who want to help you, it, it can actually be fun. At, at, at least when you follow through and then you start seeing the results, right? A lot of people drop before they actually start seeing the results, and then they say, well, this planning thing doesn't work. It does work, but you need to follow through. Well, yeah, there, there is that. And what I also can imagine comes up, and this is the same with entrepreneurial um, education and motivation in general, is people will, say, will claim they have goals or will 
tell themselves that they've adopted goals based on what somebody else says their goal should be. Let me use myself as, as an example. Oh, I've had people. I've had people. So yeah. True. Let me let me give you just a couple quick ones for me, and I know you're going to kick in a couple here. Um, for example, and I've shared this a dozen times, is I live in Las Vegas, and I travel to Los Angeles, San Diego, and Phoenix. Each one of those cities, usually a couple times a year, a couple times a year rather. And I've been told that because I drive to those cities rather than fly, that I am not a leveraged entrepreneur. I kid you not. I've been told that if I was actually an entrepreneur, I would fly instead of drive. Now, okay, so I'm going to fly, right? Because supposedly that's going to save me a lot of time. Because, see, see, if I drive, I can get in the car whenever I feel like it, and I can drive to any of those cities. It's going to take me about five hours, no matter which way you go. It's why I pick Las Vegas. It's central to those three cities that I was also visiting when I used to live on the East Coast. And I can leave whenever I want. I can get there whenever I want. And when I'm ready to come back, I can come back. I don't have to wait for a flight. So compared oh, – oh, and also, I can take as much luggage as I want, and I don't have to pay baggage fees. And I, don't have to have, and I don't have to go through TSA, and I don't have to have my bag scanned. And if I want to bring a 30-ounce bottle of shampoo with me, I can. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> but, but somehow I'm not a leveraged entrepreneur because I don't allow a travel agent to tell me when I'm supposed to travel. I don't spend – anywhere from five minutes to an hour standing in line to be put through an x-ray machine and then patted down, have my bag searched, have my laptop swabbed and analyzed, then be sent to another place where I can sit there and wait or stand there and wait, depending on how crowded it is, to be herded into a completely full flight into a seat that's not big enough for me and have no choice about who I'm stuck next to. And then be subject to frequent delays, people's attitudes and tempers and everything else, and then come out on the other side, wonder if my bag is going to be there, and then have to deal with transportation on the other end, knowing that when I'm on that other city, I'm going to have to rely on uh, people I know, Ubers, Lyfts, and taxis for everything, instead of having my own freedom to just get in my car and where I want to go. But somehow, because I don't go through all that, I'm not a leveraged entrepreneur. Also, because I have business ventures that I'm working on right now, and one of those business ventures has a monthly revenue goal of $2,500. And they say, well, wait a minute. Why isn't that $25,000? Why aren't you adding a zero? Well, it's only supposed to fill one piece of my financial puzzle. I actually only want to allocate so much to it because I have a vision of that being one that I can mostly outsource the work and still recognize a, re a reasonable profit margin without having to spend much time on it once it's fully up and running. But I'm not leveraged, right? I'm not an entrepreneur. So what is it for artists? Mm -hmm. What do they deal with? Uh, yeah, well, gallery representation, right? What's your goal? I'm going to get gallery representation. Why? Right. Well, because I need it, <laughs> right? Because it's the only way I'm going to get recognition. That's not true. I can tell you a lot of artists, name a lot of artists who don't have gallery representation who are doing well. And really, uh, the gallery representation that you might be getting at this level, maybe in your career, is not worth the hassle. Uh, it's much better if you're building your collector base, you're doing your own thing, and then you get, you know, a gallery comes to you later with a great offer, right? Why not? 
Um, so, no, getting a gallery doesn't make you a success or not a success. Also, um, you know, I need to make six figures. I need to make six figures. Will your program get, get me six figures? Where does this six figure thing come from, right? Because yeah. six figures can mean a lot. Like, I hear this a lot. Like, uh, six figures can mean a hundred and it can mean 999, okay? And, um, right. and what? If you're doing 95,000, you're not a success? Like, come on. And, and you know what? It really doesn't matter how much money you're making. What matters is how much profit there is at the end. And then that's you look true. at me. That's true. I, that's true. As my coach Jim Palmer asking. would say, gross is for sanity, net is for vanity. Yes. And, and one more because we've got to wrap up. Yeah, but no, but just following on that, if it costs you nine hundred thousand to make a million, is it really worth yeah. it? Yeah. So at That's the end of the head. day, like, yeah, it's true. It's true. So that these kinds of goals that they put themselves in, um, or maybe like I need to sell these many paintings, but it's maybe not the number of paintings, but it's where you place these paintings, and maybe we need to look at your price. Like I said, your your profit margin and your pricing, and maybe you don't need to sell that many paintings. If you have a better understanding of your numbers, and then um, you can sell less but better. Exactly, exactly. So as we wrap up here, because we're right at the top of the hour, we have two minutes left, and I want to give one of those minutes to you, because I imagine there's somebody who's an artist, whether they're starving, whether they're eating well, whether they're aspiring, or whether they have perspired on their way to transpiration, that is leaning in <laughs> and saying, I want more of this. So where do they go? Well, absolutely. I would love to meet you. So come by our website. It's called theartistentrepreneur.com. There's a contact page. You can reach out to us. Or there's also, if you're not sure, if you're ready for this, there's a bunch of free resources. We have a resources library that you can check out to get you started. And I have a blog that also gives a lot of insights to artists um, who want to make a career out of their art. And obviously, Instagram is a place on social media where you can find me. My handle is my full name, Catherine Oha. Come say hi. Tell me uh, you heard from me uh, through Adam, and I'll be happy to get to know you and see how it can help. Okay. Okay. I mispronounced your name when we first started this episode, so I'm going to have you say your own name when I close this out. So thank you. Catherine Horaire. For joining us today here at the Business Creators Radio Show, it has been an honor and an education. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Adam. It was a real pleasure. You bet. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.